This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the November 27th, 2023 For Your Benefit radio show. My name is Bob Lines, and we have guests today, Karen Schaefer, CFP, and Caitlin Schaefer-Yarley, CFP. A lot of CFPs, huh? Yeah, we, got you, we got you surrounded, Bob. Nice All to right. be here. Well, great, great to have you here. All righty, so we're going to talk today about 529 plans and other strategies for paying for education. So we'll talk about the new 529, other strategies, educating children. That, that might be a challenge about money early. So question coming out of the box is, how do you get children to understand the value of money? Obviously, it will be different depending on the age of the child. But when do you really need to get started? Good, good question. Um... It's true that it will be different, you know, the how you talk to your child about money at the age of five versus the conversations you're going to have when they're 15. But um, I really believe that it's never too early. So my my just big of it, you know, biggest advice on that is just to get the conversation started um, as soon as possible and as often as possible. The kids need to know to, you know, understand the value of, of a dollar or, or how much things cost. They're not going to know that if they don't know what, um, you know, the cost of things that they're asking you to buy when they're, they're making their Christmas lists right now or their birthday lists and um, not fully understanding how maybe, you know, difficult it is to always get everything you want if they don't know how much everything costs. So um, one thing I distinctly remember as a child, um, and I and I try to do today with my own kids, is is let them know how much something costs. So I remember, you know, we'd be out to a fancy dinner, and and at the end of the meal, my dad would get the the bill, and and he'd call me over and just say, how much How much do you think this all costs? You know, we've got six people here, and and everybody got an entree, shared a dessert. You know, how much does that add up? you know, with, with a bottle of wine or without. Um, and now I'll, I'll do it. I've done, <laughs> I take my, my kids with me to the grocery store and, you know, they help me pick out groceries, help me get everything on the cart. They help undo the groceries, but having that conversation, I'll say everything's out, you know, on the, the conveyor belt, how much do you think this all costs? And we take a, a guess, the over under, you know, is it, is it going to be, you know, they might say, $50, $100, you know, and, and we all know going to the grocery store right now, feeding a family of five costs more than $100. And so having that conversation, I think early on and letting them be a part of the process really um, just, just, you know, sparks it in them an interest and just a knowledge of it when they are then making those Christmas card lists or asking for something, um, you know, we, there's, there's a lot of pros and cons and debates on, you know, doing chores around the house and earning an allowance. And, you know, if that works for you and your family, um, 
I, I, I see the benefit in it for sure. For, for my family, it's just another chore for me to something to keep track of. <laughs> I, I think they should make their bed regardless of whether they're getting a dollar for it or not. Um, but just having that conversation about money early on and knowing what things cost. And isn't it um, important to have that conversation, Caitlin, well before we get into this college thing? Because exactly. so many kids I mean, have no idea that they want mm-hmm. to go to a, a particular college because they like the weather, right? Yeah. Or they, they like the they, football team. They want the football they, team. Yeah. They're having no yeah. idea that I, I, I spoke with a young woman not too long ago who I think she was an intern for us since a high school student. And mm-hmm. she had picked a school because of the football team, because of the weather. And she got in, but waitlisted for her major. So it wasn't even a school that was aligned with what she thought she wanted to Mm -hmm. study. And when I asked if her parents were helping to pay, she didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I said, let's, your assignment as an intern is to figure this out. How much is it going to cost you? How much money have you saved? And if you have to borrow money to go to this college, what do you think your monthly payment is going to be? And it was shocking. I mean, the, the whole thing was was shocking. We do right. know that there's a, there's a great research study that came out that I, I won't be able to quote exactly, but it showed that kids who have bank accounts are more likely to be savers than spenders when they're mm-hmm. in their 20s. So um, whether there's yeah. much money in that bank account or not. So we so also... Yeah, it's hard. It's funny. You got to find, um, you know, for for us growing up, a bank account, you would you would physically take your money and take it to the bank or you would get the statements in the mail. And it's a little different now. You know, you, you've got um, my daughter is babysitting and, and making money for babysitting, but she's very rarely handed cash in her hand. You know, the, the money is sent to my app and then I'm supposed to transfer it to her bank. And so I, I'm finding that it's difficult to teach the value of a dollar when they're not seeing it, when they're not feeling it. Right. Um, and so, you know, having that bank account um, is, is key, but it's, it's also got to be worked into the day-to-day somehow. Um, right. For the kids like how they can log it. into it and actually they need to log in and yeah. see the balance. Um, but back to your point about college, it's it's just it's simply not fair to your child and to yourself because you know you might be stuck with this, the bill too. Um, to wait and talk about college and the cost of it um, until they're a senior in in high school, it's it's just not it's not fair to them. To think that they can work hard for these grades, you know, play all the sports, do the extracurriculars, build their resume, thinking they're going to um, get to go to a, you know, a certain prestigious school or the school of their dreams, their top choice, only to find out that there's no way to pay for it. Right. Um, that's, that's such a key point of 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 college and secondary education. Um, Caitlin, since you're in the throes of raising children right now, um, what do you think about those credit cards that kids? How's, 
there, there's a there's a big interest around it. And um, again, part of me just didn't want to deal with one more thing. You know, I have to keep track of my own bank account. It's you know, but it it's a it's a learning curve. I think um, if you have a five year old, they don't need it. But as soon as you have a child that is starting to um, shop with their friends without you around or, you know, um, you're running oh, yeah. errands and they can go buy the Starbucks coffee. You don't have to be the person to go talk to the barista and, and pay for it. Um, I do think there is a benefit for it, especially with places being cashless. Um, you know, we, there's, there's numerous ones out there. So I would definitely research the ones, um, pros and cons of, of specific ones, but I think green light is a really popular one right now and um, worth, worth pursuing just How because it gives, it, it gives a child some independence and some ownership of their money. Well, I always thought it was important for a child um a teenager to understand how dangerous credit cards were because when you go to school and you're away from home and the credit card company mm -hmm. is underwriting um, a lot of extracurricular things at the university to get access to the naive mm -hmm. and inexperienced 18, 19 year old yeah. um, that it's it, important to understand compound interest it's not your friend right. when you're paying it, right? And it's kind of, um, you know, if if the credit card company is welcoming you to the land of easy money, um, it's it's pretty seductive and dangerous. So Very. how do these credit cards like Greenlight? How does that work? Are they um, could it? Do, do you just put some money? It's more of a debit card. card. Yeah, it's more like a debit card. I, I would do more of a, a debit card situation yeah. when you're talking about, you know under 18 for sure. Um, yeah. and, and you as the parent can add money to it or a family member, a loved one, add money to their account for their birthday. Um, on the, you know, from the ones that I've seen, certainly there's a wide variety right now, right. but I would just stick to a debit card and keeping a low know, balance, low balance. Yeah. Something that they can manage. Right. And then they then they realize, oh, Starbucks is really an extravagance. Yeah, it really is not worth it. <laughs> when when you're if a hundred percent of your babysitting can go to um, one stop. Yeah, um, exactly. That's oh. I get that. So the other argument I would get from um, young adults is college kids really just I have to have a credit card because I need a credit score, and that's mm -hmm. not true either like you yeah. can, you, it doesn't surprisingly it doesn't take very long to build a good credit score it might take a while to build a most incredible glow in the dark excellent score but mm -hmm. you know a credit score that's high enough to to rent your own apartment rent an apartment right 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 it takes about um 15 months of paying your bills mm -hmm. on time that's right. all it takes whatever your bill is whether it's the utility bill whether it's um, rent, but it it really doesn't take that long. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not um, essential. I, I do love a credit card though for the points. You know, love love my. Love I know my cash back. that is helpful. I'm enjoying it myself. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. um, 
So yeah. do, do you find you you talk to enough clients now, Caitlin, and and mm-hmm. certainly I do, and Bob, you as well. Um, I I found that my um, that sometimes f- parents didn't talk enough about money with their kids because they were embarrassed. They thought right, or or they they thought they didn't make enough money, or they thought their kids um, mm-hmm. uh, they thought they had made mistakes, and so it was kind of a culture family cultural thing not to talk about money. Is that right? And also, if, when you talk to your kids about money, you don't know, you know, what then they're going to say outside of the home. Right. So that's right. all <laughs> tricky. You know, you can't say, oh, well, this is, you know, how much we spend on something or, you know, you, you've got to um, respect other families, financial situations as well. But um, but I do find, you you know, the more you can talk about it, the more um, that they understand just the value of money and and how to hopefully be responsible with it in the future. Yeah. How to make smart choices. Right. Right. Yeah. I work at work on the other end. <clears throat> it's usually the client you know, who's funding the college and, and I, I become <clears throat> the wailing wall and they'll come in and say, how can I afford to do this for me when I have to, the money spent for, for, the children. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't want to deny anybody anything, but maybe there are some extravagances in there that uh, you can. But how uh, working with your clients and maybe even your children, what do you find surprising that that, that they're not aware of? Of course, well, you know what? I think Andrew would really like us to take a break before we we jump into that. So I'm going to hold that thought, Bob. OK, so let's take a break, Andrew. Times have changed. But WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage, regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage. WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. All right, we're here today with Karen Schaefer and Caitlin Schaefer, both CFPs, and we're talking about 529 plan and other strategies for paying for education. So where do we leave off? Mm-hmm. Question two there. Yeah, the... Okay, so question two says, let's focus on the cost of educating children. Any tips? We have lots of tips. So before <laughs> they come to you and... and uh, the parents come to you and have to sob about their kid is accepted. They don't know how to tell them no, and, and they don't have the money to pay for it. We like to start working with families as soon as we have a ninth, maybe 10th grader. What, because then you know what kind of students you have, right? You know right. whether learning comes easily to them, whether it is likely they will need a college education to be successful or not. And we start being realistic about how are we going to pay for this? Because there's really only three ways to pay for an education. You're going to spend money that you've saved in advance, 
or you're going to save, you're going to spend money out of your cash flow, the day-to-day, month-to-month paycheck, and or you're going to take on some debt. And we really, 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 can I say that again? Really don't want people to take on the debt. So what we learned, because financial aid really is debt, right? So what we learned early on was that it was really important to focus on the cost of the education, right? So there's all kinds of great tips out there. We could do, I think I've done a three-hour webinar for you, um, Bob, uh, for NITP, just on how to reduce the cost of education. But the key takeaway today is it is more important to to focus on reducing and controlling, containing the cost of the education than it is to look for financial aid because too much of the financial aid is gonna be debt. So if I'm controlling the cost of the education, I'm looking at anything that's free or reduced. Um, can I take my intros to every, everything um, classes at the community college? Can I do dual enrollment while I'm in high school? Some kids who are um, a, um, able to master high school level work pretty easily can actually enroll in the local college or the local community college at a fairly reasonable price and knock out two years worth of science. Um, they have advanced placement courses where you can uh, test out of d- history, the entry level mm-hmm. history or um, humanities or certainly language kinds of classes. So I work with a lot of kids uh, each year who are great students, but have no family help when it comes to um, paying for their college. So I, I explain room and board. It's not really part of your education, but it's outrageously expensive. Um, don't change your major. Be thoughtful. Talk to your high school counselors and the teachers that you respect in high school. Um, take um, uh, it, it tests to see what you're really what you really could shine at, because changing your major adds a year more often than not. Mm-hmm. What else have you seen, Caitlin? I know, just you know as you touched on the room and board, just trying to stay local and, and live at home. Um, even is, for is a year, even right. a year. Right. I, I've often done the math on that. Um, the University of Maryland had this um, historically um, pro- uh, historic problem of, of not having enough beds for everybody. Yeah, so they housing would, was the housing was an issue. So they would, um, take local kids, I mean, kids who literally are within 30 miles of the campus and say, you know, we're going to treat you really specially. We're going to give you a study area on campus. But mm-hmm. if you'll take evening classes, we'll guarantee you a spot in um, in the dorm because there's enough attrition. And the, the kids yeah, who share that yeah. first semester taking yeah. up a dorm room, then this incubated class a group of kids. And it's like 30 kids. You, so you, it's like being on a team. You know, you meet some friends, you learn some good study habits, and you save a semester worth of room and board. It's, it's a win-win. And the other, of course, if you can live at home for two years in the state of Maryland, two years at a community college gets you into a state university that you just might not get into um, as a, a first year freshman. So it saves 
a, a ton of money there. We also know the, um, the academies are very competitive, but the military academies offer just a phenomenal education. That's not something you can wake up as a uh, senior in high school and say, I think I'm going to think I'm going to get myself accepted in at uh, into Annapolis. Uh, it's something that you you work toward your entire think about. Yeah, you, you have to think about it. You have to plant the seed for the best way to do that. I also have noticed that, um, especially since we're on the East Coast here in the Washington D.C. area, um, it doesn't come up as much. But I grew up in the Midwest. And the Midwestern universities are desperate for diversity. So whether it's your ethnic, socioeconomic, um, particular, um, uh, unique um, talent, the, there's more of it on the, on the East and West Coast than there is in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So the Midwest might take somebody who is still struggling to get into University of Virginia, University of Maryland, and take them um, at a really reduced price. At, With scholarship, right. At full scholarships. I have, right. I, I, that's worked for me, um, to recommending that to families mm-hmm. more times than I can count now to get really good scholarships, taking your East Coast yeah. diversity to the Midwest. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to reality check or something to stomach, but just because you can get into a certain school doesn't mean it's going to be the best school for you um, academically, personally, but financially is what we're talking about. So um, if you have the grades to kind of cut it at one of these bigger, more well-known, prestigious, you know, universities, um, you're just going to be, you know, a small fish in a big pond, where just pivot your, you know, pivot your um, thought process and, and realize that you could be a big fish in a small pond and and even get scholarship and, and money for, right. for choosing that different route. So, Caitlin, what if um, we do get the right fit, right? The right school yeah. at a reduced cost, but we're still going to need some debt. Um, to pull mm-hmm. that off, what what guidelines would you be giving somebody into how much debt is getting into the danger danger zone, um, or are you trying to be as hard lined with the clients that you're advising? Say just don't do it. Just you know, mm-hmm. wait until you've saved the money. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's certain dollar amounts that you can throw out, but again, we need to forward think of how quickly we'll be able to pay it off. Mm-hmm. So um, with your crystal ball that we <laughs> like to use, which is impossible, um, really, really calculate that number and and play it out like you did with the intern to say, how much is it going to be? And then what is the plan afterwards to pay it off? Don't go in that in that blindly. Right. I, I, I wish I could remember this woman's name as she's a, uh, uh, to give her credit, but she is um, a, a nationally recognized authority on getting uh, financial aid, really. And mm-hmm. she, um, she came up with a, a system that sort of sounded like, I, I was just sort of guessing at, don't, don't um, 
borrow more than what you think you can pay back in two years. Well, she crunched the numbers often enough that it comes out to about the same. But her mm -hmm. theory, her advice to, to young people would be, if you really have to borrow money, don't borrow more than what your starting salary is likely mm -hmm. to be. So you go to the Department of Labor website and look at the starting salary for the philosophy major, for the undecided major, they, they, they track that, for mm -hmm. the chemist, for the electrical engineer, for the history major, and whatever the average starting salary is, it might be a, a year or two delayed, but that should be your top um, limit on how much you would really borrow. And when I thought about that, it makes how sense to, to me. borrow total. Yeah. Yeah. That you should borrow total for all four years. All four years, not one year. Right. Correct. And that the way I looked at it was, you know, if I got a history major and the starting salary for the average history major was $43,000 in 2022 or 2021, then, and I borrowed $43,000, but, and did the rest on savings or cash flow or living at home or however I, I did it. And I would commit to living like a student for two more years, right? So I'm going to um, I'm going to live in group housing, even though I'm tired of roommates. I'm going to eat ramen noodles and buy my beer and mm -hmm. drink it at home. I'm going to pick up side jobs on the weekend still. I could pay it back in, in two years' time um, at, before I get the nice car, before I get the, the place to live by myself. Now, whether or not I would really insist on somebody paying it back in, in a, a year or two would depend on the terms of the loan, right? or if they're in a loan forgiveness program. Um, but we've just seen these loan forgiveness programs blow up on us through no fault of, of the students. We've seen the third party administrators screw things up. We've seen the courts <laughs> throw out programs, right, that we thought were passed. Um, so even if somebody is in a loan forgiveness program, I always like them to still live like the student, pretend you have to make the payment and just put it aside for yourself. Because if it all works out, now you'll have the down payment for your first house um, if your loans really do get forgiven. And if they don't, you're not going to be in your 40s still trying to pay off these, these student mm -hmm. loans. Let me say something and then we take a break. This, um, an email just came in. Okay. Bye, Bob. Uh, hope all is well. Please ask your guest about Secure Act 2.0, starting in 2024, for the benefit of 529 plans. They're, they're, yeah. The 529 plans, Bob, are better than ever. The Secure Act 1.0 nudged us into um, taking a second look at 529 plans because it got a little better. But now the 2.0 said that if you put money in a 529 plan and you don't use it for a qualifying education expense and you don't have another family member that you want to transfer it to for a qualifying higher education expense, you can actually take some of this leftover money and over a few years time, contribute to a Roth IRA for the beneficiary of that account. And the, the one caveat is you have to have the 529 plan opened for
for 15 years. Well, what does that mean? This is the best deal in town, but you got to get on it. So mm -hmm. we've always recommended when a baby is born, they get a social security number, open up a 529 plan, a, a, a tax advantage way for saving for education. And it's not just college education anymore. It's K through 12 extracurriculars or pri uh, private high school, Montessori school. They really opened up what we can use these 529 plans for. But we also know that um, if the, if even if the parent can't save for the child, grandparents can save for the child a little bit easier, more easily. And we can often um, use then extra money if the child doesn't need the education or got the education less expensively to set them up with contributions to hopefully tax-free earnings in Roth IRA accounts. It's the coolest thing ever. All right, got a got a question regarding Roth IRAs, and then we'll take a break and come back and answer it. So here's the question. Please ask your guest about Secure Act 2.0, allowing Roth IRA conversions of 529 plans starting in 2024 mm -hmm. for the benefit of the 529 plan. Right. So uh, a similar question, but I'll definitely talk about that. All right, let's take a break and um, we'll, we'll answer the question. <laughs> Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Okay, welcome back to, to uh, the final leg of the show. And we're here today talking with Karen Schaefer and Caitlin Schaefer-Yardley. And we're talking about 529 plans and other things. Here we go. We got a question uh, from a listener. Converting 529 plan to a Roth IRA. Please ask your guests about Secure Act 2.0, allowing Roth IRA conversions of 529 plans starting in 2024, but for the benefit of the 529 plan. Right. Right. This so a big change. Yeah. Yeah. It is a big change. Um, we've always liked the 529 plan, but if you had leftover money in the plan and nobody in the family that needed an education, you had to take, you, you left the money there and um, hopefully an, an, a young, another generation was going to uh, need it, or you took it out paid the tax on the earnings mm -hmm. and it would be subjected to a 10% penalty. Now you can take up to the IRA contribution limit per year 
and contributed. It's not really considered a conversion because there's no taxable event going on. A conversion is when you take a traditional retirement account and change it into a Roth account. This is just a special thing that we can do now with 529 plans um, and uh, that have been open for 15 years. We don't get to do it. The first time, chance we'll have mm-hmm. will be in um, 2024 and for only for accounts that have been around for 15 years. So if you've got an account that's got money in it that you're thinking you won't need for education, or you can now pay for the education out of cash flow, your, your current paycheck, then leave the money in the 529 plan and convert or, or rather transfer um, enough to contribute to an IRA. The maximum total is $35,000, but you can't put more in any one year than what the limit is that year. So if in 2024, the limit is $6,500, then yeah. you can put $6,500 in. And, and do that each year. Each year, the contribution limit might go up. We don't know until mm-hmm. the year happens um, for a total right now of 35000 And if you think about that, if you had a young person in their 20s with $35,000 in an IRA invested for conservative growth, so a mostly stock fund, whether the market's going up or down, you don't use this money till you're in your late 50s at the earliest, early 70s, more likely, if you're fortunate enough to be lead a healthy life. That is a huge account. Money doubles every 10 years in these conservative growth accounts. So 35 goes uh, to a, a pretty big number in a matter of a half a century. So it's, it's a very, very powerful tool. I don't know who dreamed it up. Bob, do you know? Uh, the, the I know. Where that brilliant. Came from. It's brilliant for, for, wait, us, taxpayers. It's like, that, that doesn't happen. I know. Should we look it up? And, and it should be- well, probably not at the moment, but uh, maybe. Next, next show. I'm just, a, I never, I've never seen such a gift, really. Yeah. Well, and it's and it, the gift, I guess, that keeps on giving, you know, if you have the grandparent or loved one, a godmother, you know, your favorite great aunt who wants to be able to, um, you know, gift money or, you know, something other than just a, the latest toy, um, you know, giving money into the 529 plan is someone may have hesitated when they realized, you know, we're not sure how much we need to save for college or, um, or what those costs were going to be. It's, it's a way for the, for the, the money and the gift to still continue um, past an education stage of life uh, without being taxed on it. I got a, I got a good question here. Is college worth it? The bigger <laughs> question. The bigger question is with the rising cost of college, whether it's a worthwhile investment. This is a highly debated question, and I'm wondering what your guests think. I don't know, Caitlin. You might think differently um, than I do, but it is something that I've thought about a lot for um, my clients, my family, and uh, and just in the bigger, you know. Um, 
philosophy of, of life. And the way I've come down on this, I, I do think that um, there's something about being an educated person that is that satisfies your soul, that gives you critical thinking yeah. skills and makes you a better citizen in the world. Um, but I also have witnessed universities kind of losing their way on that education for education's sake um, is sort of a luxury in a world where people have to be able to support themselves. And we, we ended up kind of with universities having silos of, of education that didn't really transfer into the real world or methods of educating that didn't keep pace with um, the way kids learn now. If you go into a high school now, Bob, it is not what you and I, we, we sat in rows of desks very quietly. Education is noisy and collaborative right now. And, um, and it works. But and it also works in the real world. Work in in the real world. You work with teams now. You you you're not do a good job and get a bonus. Do a bad job, get fired, which is sort of how we were raised, Bob. So I yes. think that the universities <laughs> made themselves a little bit irrelevant in the real world. Sadly, um, and I'm a cautiously optimistic person. I think they'll come around. But I'll give you an example of a, a young man that I knew who was a client's grandson, and he was just negative. Um, he hated school. Brilliant kid, hated school and um, got a job at Best Buy because he's brilliant with computers and uh, was doing what you're supposed to do at Best Buy is try to upsell uh, at the checkout line. And whoever he was checking out that day said, what the heck are you doing here at Best Buy? I have a computer um, servicing business and you need to come and work for me. So he went and worked for a small business, didn't really get along with the guy, learned a lot um, and um, got fired because he was mad at something. And so we're thinking, oh, my gosh, this 20 year old is going to be living in grandma's basement forever. And he heard about a program where Microsoft was hiring kids without college degrees. Long story short, he's a 24-year-old living independently, working remotely. He and his cat get along very nicely and <laughs> getting paid by Microsoft. Great benefits, great wages, no college education, and honestly, barely a high school education. So that's one extreme. And then you're still, I still have lots of great stories about kids going through four years, getting great service opportunities, great um, social and emotional growth and good education and great starting jobs. So it, it's not mutually exclusive whether um, everybody should go to college or everybody should just look for the job and get the life skills and go do it. Um, but it does speak to this phenomenon uh, uh, does speak to why it's so important to pay attention to the cost. Some people don't realize that college isn't for them or that yeah. it's going to be not worth it until they're a year or two or three into it with zero credits, you know, to their, you know, school credits to their name, but, but still the debt now to their name. Um, and so whether you need to take a year off in between high school and college to kind of figure out what's the best route for you, um, it's, it's not a one size fits all. And I think um, particularly with the cost just skyrocketing, it's making everybody really pause 
before just assuming you have to have a college degree. Um, there are different ways, you know, of educating yourself and, and making a career without um, the typical undergrad. So why don't we do this? Let's take a break because we've got two more questions and I'm sure you don't even need to take a break, but the sponsor says we should. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Welcome back to the NITP show. We've got Karen Schaefer, CFP, and Caitlin Schaefer, Yarley, CFP, and giving us lots of good information. But now we're kind of coming to the um, closing hours, if you will. And one of the questions uh, says, what are you telling your clients about student loans? Yeah. So I think I've, I, I say this now when I do... Um, webinars for you, Bob, if I could do anything in my career over again, I would be more adamant about not taking the loan um, and doing whatever we could to um, keep the cost of education into what what you really can afford. But if we are going to take a loan, um, make sure that we understand the terms of the loan and the repayment schedule before we accept, uh, before we sign on, on the dotted line. So no more than um, what you think you could reasonably pay back if you were in an entry-level job in two years' time. Mm -hmm. Okay, got another question. We've got a lot of questions today. <clears throat> Recent tax law changes really impact 529 plans. Have financial planners changed their advice regarding 529 plans? That's a tough I, question. I, yeah, Caitlin. I, well, I think the advice is still there to to contribute to the 529. We're still a big fan of 529s. Um, the change is, which is really lovely for all of us now, is that you can um, perhaps, you know, if you don't use up the 529 balance at the end of maybe you're, you're realizing um, the beneficiary didn't need all the money in an undergraduate or, you know, won't be going to a graduate school and, and there's no family member to transfer the rest of the, the 529 onto, um, that we can move that money to the Roth. And so I think in terms of advice, um, it just only emphasizes, you know, our encouragement of a 529 more than anything. And, and the emphasis to start the 529 early you know, you look at your two-year-old and can't imagine them in college. But if we have that 529 open for a full 15 years, 
um, that's when you're able to then convert some of the money each year to a Roth. And so it, it does make sense to open a 529 as soon as possible. Very good. Now, when you make, uh, when you provide that benefit to the children, do you also explain the, the, the value of savings or the value of a dollar mm -hmm. versus not? Yeah. You know, talking to them about the cost of college as soon as possible is really, um, you know, is, is extremely important so that they know going into it um, what what the debt on the other side is going to be um, oh, and I how much forget. you're contributing and how much they're expected to pay. Exactly. It's the same thing now, you know, if, if my daughter wants to buy a certain pair of, you know, Lululemon leggings that I think are ridiculously priced at her age, um, you know, do you share the cost? And so you're having, if you're having that conversation now um, with them, with your 10, 12 year old about the cost of, of the things they want to buy, you, you certainly will then be in the habit of continuing that conversation when it comes to higher education and, and the cost of college. How much are you contributing and how much are they going to be expected to also add to the cost of, of their education? I'll never forget talking to a client once who had done all the right things, started saving the $25, $50 a paycheck when the baby was born mm -hmm. and um, lived within their means. So they had a reasonable mortgage and no credit card debt and um, car loans were just occasional and minimal. So really had done all the right thing. And as the, they they had two kids and as the kids were getting into high school age, my client starts getting panicky about this might not be enough. And I said, you've done everything right. Um, your your mm -hmm. kids will have to pick up the rest if they want to go to a more expensive school. And that just sounded way too harsh. For They, they didn't want to, to talk to their, their children like that. And I said, well, I got a better idea. Let's get them together. So they brought the kids to the office and I showed them a pretty balance sheet that had this fairly respectable number um, that was college money. And I said, your parents are willing to take this, which is a lot of what they've saved in the life and give to, you, to your education. And there's probably a couple hundred dollars per paycheck that is also available if they don't eat out, if, you know, we, we, we cut back some discretionary spending. Um, if you want to go to a school that costs more than that, you will be paying for it. And th this is how it works. And it was just such a graphic um, representation of, wow, of all the things mom and dad have, most of it's going to us, or this has been a real <laughs> sacrifice already. Um, and I, I think it, it really did help in this case, the, these kids had the personality where the light bulb went off with that kind of, of representation. So there's all kinds of ways to talk to your kids, um, but you got to find the one that resonates with, with them. Um, mm -hmm. And for some kids, it's a fine line between scaring them uh, into, oh, my gosh, how am I going to make it in the world if the world is so expensive, to um, making them a little more respectful of the sacrifices yeah. parents have already made. Appreciative. Right. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> um, I, I think you can answer this quickly, but um, there was a, a question. 
do you have any recommendation for grandparents who want to help a grandchild be financially secure? Yes. I think you touched on it, but th this well, is... You know, I, I get that a lot now when, um, because the grandparents are retired and we've done a good job. If the grandparents are clients, they're they're comfortable in retirement. And I, this came up for me just within the last couple of weeks. Um, they wanted to buy the um, college grad uh, a car. They're a senior in college and they need a car and I just want to buy them the car. And I said, yeah, but, you know, the only problem with a, a, a gift of that size is we don't know whether this child, pseudo adult at this point, senior in college, um, has acquired the skill of living within their means. We don't know yet whether they will say, yeah, I'd love to go to Starbucks, but I can't afford it. Or I'd love to buy the name brand leisure wear, but I, I, athletic wear, but I, I can't afford it. Right. We because we've been paying for everything so far. So a better idea would be instead to wait till they have a job and then what percentage of their paycheck are they willing, like make them a car loan that they have to pay. What percentage of their paycheck can they really afford? Get them involved in picking the right price range for the car, mm -hmm. maybe making a gift of a down payment and then have them make the car payment to the grandparents who may or may not, you know, choose at some point to forgive this loan uh, or make a gift of that money. But it's critically important that instead of delaying the uh, uh, the student from learning how to live within their means, that we kind of jump on that. It's it's a skill set that's critically important. How do you budget with that first paycheck? And the, the grandparents could be very instrumental in making sure that that happened. I understand we have less than two minutes left. Oh. One other thing, just to point on, and I'm, I'm going down a different rabbit hole real quick, but Karen, you made the point of, you know, contributing um, to 529, you know, at, at the start when the child was born and, and then, um, you know, making sacrifices, you know, here and there. Just a, a good point is to make sure as you are helping your child pay for college or, um, you know, saving for them is, is to take care of yourself as well. This, this will ultimately um, be the child's uh, degree, and you have to make sure that you've taken care of, you know, your own loans, your own retirement, um, your own needs as well. So take that into consideration. Right. It doesn't really help the family if the senior family um, members are financially fragile. So exactly. um, so we'll, we would always prioritize funding your thrift savings plan, your 401k plan before we put money in the 529 plan other than to open it. We do <laughs> want it open for 15 years. Right. If our <laughs> chip comes in and we have a place to put money, we're using 529 plans more than ever. Okay, we have, what a minute, two minutes left, Andrew. Andrew says less than that, so. <laughs> it's never too early to talk to your kids about money, so go ahead and have the conversations now. Okay, Karen? Yep, same message. It's a conversation that needs to be had, and, and it empowers everybody to be financially secure. Well, thanks for helping us become secure today. And we'll have to do it again soon, huh?
how, how does somebody get in touch with you all? Oh, every, Schaefer Financial. You can find us. You just spell Schaefer with every letter you can put in it. And our phone number is 301-933-5550. Thank you ever so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.